Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We are excited for the opportunity that we're going to have next Sunday to regather here in this place, in this space, to worship the Lord uh, in person. Now we've been, as far as I'm concerned, we've been worshiping the Lord together, even though it's been in uh, different, different places. You know, there are a lot of churches that have satellite campuses. You, you've heard of those kinds of churches, right? Satellite campus churches. We've just had lots of satellite churches in the last several months. Just lots of them. That's, what, that's all this is. Lots of satellite churches. And uh, I pray that as you've been sheltering in your satellite, it's been very, very good for you. You know, I've, I've been encouraged over this journey um, that we've been on. And, and just by the way, this is kind of uh, the, the last message in this series on, uh, that we've been looking at on sheltering in the Lord. And I hope that you've been encouraged that no matter what comes your way, you realize that you can, you can find a shelter uh, in the Lord. Now, for some, because I've talked to a few people, some of you, this study has stirred up some pain from the past, some pain uh, that you had to suffer through that was tremendous, uh, may have been the loss of a family member, and you, you endured that, and yet you have been reminded on this journey that the Lord brought you through, that God, God was faithful. And so for you, though the pain got stirred up, so did the faithfulness of God. And, and for some, God is still bringing restoration to your soul. For others, I would imagine this journey has not struck you very deeply. And the truth is, you may need to go through a bit more of the furnace of this life before you really ever grasp all of the message of Job. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to turn open your Bible or tap it open or whatever, swipe it open, whatever you need to do, uh, because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today where God finally pulls back a curtain and reveals himself to Job. Now, this topic of, of God really should be in every human life the topic, topic of first importance. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is actually the most important thing about, about us. So let me kind of ask you a question to start with. What have you been thinking about God lately? How, wh- wh- what kind of thoughts about God have you been having over uh, the last six months, let's say? Because those thoughts are really the most important thing uh, about you. Now, I, I told you uh, that this, this chapter 38, finally God reveals himself to Job. And it is a divine encounter, a, and actually a, a divine revelation that God is going to open himself up to Job in, in, in a new way that Job's never known God. And Job is going to walk away with at least three very important insights. And the first one uh, that, that you need to understand is, is in, in the middle of this, Job is overwhelmed by uh, an ultimate truth about God. And that insight is going to lead Job to understand something about himself, which will eventually lead Job to make a pretty significant decision. 
So we're going to see three insights and one decision uh, that Job came to. Now, I've had several people tell me since we started this whole sheltering in place uh, because of the pandemic that God has gotten your attention in some ways uh, he hadn't had it in quite a long time. And I think, kind of like with Job, the Lord has maybe given some new insights um, in this season of life in the, uh, you know, the best way to kind of shelter and, and find your way through this. So let me just ask you uh, some questions about maybe thinking of this as an overarching question today. What are one or two insights that God has given you, maybe about him or even about yourself, in this pandemic? If you were, you know, just to think, uh, here's what I've learned over this time, maybe about God or about myself or about my family or friends or about church or just about whatever. What are those big takeaways for you? And, and what change or changes do you need to make because of those? And I just want to encourage you, make sure you write those down and you track on them to see if you're making the, those changes. Now, if you go to uh, the, the book of Job, uh, chapter 38, verse 1, I want us to, to read together, uh, starting there in verse 1 of Job, uh, chapter 38. It begins this way. It says, then the Lord answered Job. I want to stop there for just a second because this is, this is huge. I told you that God had really not spoken in the book of Job to Job yet. Uh, until this 38th chapter, he had, talked to, he had talked about Job. God had spoken to Satan about Job. But now for the first time, God speaks to re- directly to Job. And it begins to lift the confusion. Uh, that, see, Job had, uh, was confused a great deal by some of the counsel he had received from his friends. And here, here's what you need to know. When God speaks, when you have a God encounter, when there's a divine revelation, one of the things that lifts is the, the fog of confusion. It begins to lift. When God speaks, we get clarity. And that's ultimately what we need in every area of our life, which is, this is why, this is why one of the most frequently reoccurring questions out of a a, a mouth, out of my mouth and your mouth should be, what does God say about this? When I'm, when I'm faced with something in life, what does God say about this? What does, what does God in his word speak on this topic? In Psalm 19, verse 8, the psalmist writes, the commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten the eyes. They they enlighten us. They help us see things the right way. Psalm 119, King David writes these words. He says, your your word is a lamp to my feet. It's It's a light to my path. It shows me the way I should go. Here's what it's saying. God's truth, God's revelation enables people to see with greater clarity when God speaks it brings clarity but here's what I want you to get because God's speaking to Job but one of the things I want you to notice is God does not answer Job's questions you know we didn't look at all of Job's questions he had tons of questions that are recorded really from about chapter 3 to chapter 38 he has questions about God he has questions about God's treatment of him and God doesn't answer any of them But what God does is God reveals what Job needed the most. And here's the first thing, the first insight that Job walks away with when God speaks. God begins revealing himself with a great revelation of his greatness. 
he, he reveals his greatness. That's the first insight that, that Job receives is this message about the greatness of God. Now, um, we didn't cover this before, but back in chapter 23, Job is asking, he's kind of basically asking God, God, where are you? And in verse 8, he says, behold, I, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. He's saying, God, I'm looking for you everywhere in these circumstances, but I can't find you. God, where are you in my loss? And instead of answering Job's questions, here's what God does. God bombards Job with a series of questions of his own. Now, God's not playing 20 questions. In in fact, if you count them, God actually asks about 70 questions. And through those questions, God basically kind of escorts Job around the universe and he's pointing out to Job the great things that God has done and it takes God four chapters chapters 38 39 40 and 41 to do this and so I want us to glance at at just a few of those back in chapter 38 if you've got your Bible still open back in chapter 38 I'm gonna start back in verse 1 then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge Dress for action like a man. He's commanding Job. Now, you go get dressed and ready because I'm going to question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you you have understanding. He's saying, Job, where, where were you when I created everything? You know, and these, get this, these are rhetorical questions here. Verse 5, verse 5 goes on to say this, Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? He's kind of saying, Job, who's the one that decided that the earth itself should be, you know, have a diameter of about 8,000 miles? Who did that? Look at verse 6. On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no far farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you ever made the sunrise, Job? And I I just want to stop there because that's just a, uh, I think you kind of get the gist of it. God is asking these rhetorical questions and he's taken Job all throughout the universe, kind of like a field trip through you know, cosmology and anthropology and zoology and astronomy. He's just, he's taken Job through all these things. And Job may have known a little bit about some of these, but God knew everything about all of it because he had created it all. You remember, we just read it back in verse one. It says that the Lord spoke to Job out of something. Remember what it was? It, It was a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind. Now, Please hear me say this. This is just my opinion. This is just kind of Joe thing. I believe that God spoke to Job out of a whirlwind because it was a point of Job's greatest loss. 
it was where he lost his family, his, his children and, and, and grandchildren. He, he lost his family in a whirlwind. And I, I just want to say this to you. If, if right now you feel like you're in a storm, if, if right now you, you feel just overwhelmed, I want to encourage you to really stop and listen for God. Look for him. Because it may be that he brought you in that storm for something very specific that he wants to speak to you out of. Maybe right now in this pandemic, God brought you into this in order to speak to you out of it. Because he has some things he's been wanting to say, but you wouldn't slow down enough to listen. Are, are you listening? So, so what specifically... Did, did Job learn about God's greatness? Well, if you go over to chapter 42, that's going to be the other chapter we spend a lot of time in. You'll quickly see some of these insights begin to develop after God has just bombarded Job with those, those 70 questions. Job chapter 42, starting in verse 1. It says, then the Lord answered, excuse me, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, I love this, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, immediately there in verse 2, Job declares something specific about this revelation he's had from, from experiencing God, from this encounter he has with God. And the first of it is in verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things. He, he's saying, God... I realize how strong you are now. I realize how powerful. I, I realize there's nothing, God, that you can't do. You can do everything. Friends, the next time you're sweating out some pressure that you're under, something that you're dealing with, never forget that God can do anything. He is that powerful. So shelter in him. I love the way the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah expresses his own personal experience with this realization. In, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, the prophet says, Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard. There's nothing that's too hard for God. You know, that, that's, that's who you're dealing with. You know, too often, we, we somehow impose our human limitations onto God. We, we, try, to, we try to, like, overlay our weaknesses uh, onto God who, uh, he has no limits. He, he's full of strength. And, but somehow we think because I'm weak, somehow God must be weak. Because I, I'm limited, somehow God must be limited. And so we, we sort of see God like ourselves. And friends, that's a warped view of God. In fact, please hear this. It's actually a form of idolatry. Because we are forming God in our own image. 
I love what a little kid said one day. He was trying to describe God to some of his friends. And he said, God is greater than Superman and Batman and the Hulk combined. And that's true. He is. That God is so unbelievably powerful and strong. And, and, and this, this is Job's way of saying that. He says, nothing's too hard for you. There's nothing you can't do. Job learned about the strength of God from that revelation, that encounter, those 70 questions. Job also learned something about the sovereignty of God. He goes on to say in verse 2, I I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God, anything you plan is going to happen. It can't be stopped. It can't be thwarted. It can't be diverted. God, you are absolutely sovereign. And I, I know this. There are some people who really, really struggle with this issue of the sovereignty of God. Just, just struggle with it. And, and I just want to simply say this. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to do a message on sovereignty right now, but I just want to say this. Your life will be better. And your days will be filled with greater joy when you just rest in the sovereignty of God. When, when you just let it rest, wash over you. See, see, Job is finally realizing that God actually had some sense of purpose for permitting him to go through this suffering. He didn't know what it was yet. God didn't tell him what it was. In fact, there's no indication that God ever answered Job's why questions. But Job comes to accept that there must have been a reason for it. He says, no purpose of God can be thwarted. I, I love the way the apostle Paul uh, kind of speaks the same truth to his brothers and sisters, the church at, at, at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, We know this. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, just like Job, you, you may never know exactly what that good that God is doing behind the scenes on this earth will work its way out. You may never know that until you're in heaven. But God's word promises he's at work. And Job finally realized that. Job confesses, God, you, you are all powerful. God, you are completely sovereign. Job learned of the greatness of God in this encounter, this divine revelation. And that was Job's first insight. The second insight that comes directly after that almost always. See, because God's greatness... One of the things it's going to do is it will immediately reveal our insufficiency. When you, when you encounter God's greatness, one of the immediate things that you're going to see is your own inadequacy, your own insufficiency. Look at Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. He says, I, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself. One translation says, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, some would look at that passage and say, wow, Job, uh, you know, has a pretty low self-esteem, low self-esteem in that moment. But here's the deal. He had a good reason. He had just encountered the God of all creation, and God had just leveled Job with these 70 questions. it's, It's right to see yourself that way in the light of who God is. You know, through his 70 questions, God had essentially said to Job, hey, get this, man. I'm God, you're not. That was a message that Job needed to hear. Job, can you explain the mysteries of the universe? 
I didn't think so. But God says, I can. So now Job says, okay, I get it. In comparison to you, I'm nothing. And, and, and please, please don't miss this. In finally seeing God through the eyes of faith, Job saw himself. See, you will really only see yourself after you get a glimpse of God, after you understand uh, how amazingly different you are from God. It's an important truth to, to, to be grasped, you know. You, you might get up one morning and look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm ready for today. I, I look good. But if God walked up beside you and stood right beside you, you would start thinking, man, I look pretty gnarly today. I'm not leaving the house. Because there's just, there's no comparison. And this is all throughout scripture. This just isn't a, a revelation that Job had. I, Isaiah, that great prophet, that Gabby read uh, about his divine revelation, his divine encounter in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees, he sees God high and lifted up. The, his robe, the train of it is filling the temple. And he, he ends up just at this place where he says, woe is me. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. My, the whole culture I live in, just nothing but unclean lips. And then he says this, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Another way to say that is, I'm ruined. Man, I'm, I'm, I see God and I see myself, and I look like a train wreck. Now, now before seeing the Lord, the prophet might have said, Wow. I'm a prophet. Look at me. Wow. But when he sees God, all he can say is, woe is me. Woe is me. Another example that some of you will be familiar with in Luke chapter 5. Peter, the the apostle, the great friend of Jesus. uh, Early encounter in the life of Peter. Jesus comes up and and he's been using uh, Peter's boat to kind of preach out of on the side of the the lake and and Jesus gets finished preaching and teaching and he says hey Peter let's go fishing and Peter says Jesus look now I've been fishing all night we didn't catch a thing but because you say so I I will he said it's kind of like Peter saying I'll humor you I'll take the boat out I'll I'll let the nets down one time well the, the Bible tells us that he catches so many fish that both boats He has to call his friend's boat out there. And then both boats are so filled with fish that they begin to sink. And and Luke 5, verse 8, Peter says this when he saw it. He says, says, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When he had this encounter with who Jesus was, when Peter sees himself next to Jesus, imperfection next to perfection, it wrecks him. You know, I, I, I sing in the shower. And just so you know, I sound pretty good in the shower. You know, I, I do. Sometimes um, in the men's big bathroom back there, great acoustics in there. You know, I'm, you're supposed to wash your hands for 20 seconds. You know, so a lot of times I'll sing. I sound pretty, I, I sound pretty stinking good, I think. But if I were to come up here on stage and stand by Clancy... And sing, you know, I, I'd be embarrassed. You know, the girl's got pipes; she's hitting notes, and I, it would, I would look bad, and I would just, I would be uh, uh, undone. See that when you when you get next to something 
When you get next to God, you see yourself for who you really, really are. And that's just, and, and so Job sees God for the very first time, and guess what happens? Job sees himself for the very first time. Friends, if you show me a prideful person, a person filled with pride, I'll show you somebody who has never encountered the living God. You cannot encounter the living God and walk away filled with pride. Some of you might recall John the Apostle. He gets this great vision of the raised, resurrected Jesus in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 1, verse 17, it said, John says, when I saw him, I felt like a dead man. I, I, there was no other response. I just, I, I just dropped, man. I just, I just fell. One of the things that you'll discover if you go back and read some of the older hymns, um, they often highlighted the insufficiency of humanity in in pretty profound ways. Think about Amazing Grace. Uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. A wretch like me. There's an an old song written by Isaac Watts. Some of you may recall it. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head, the, the sacred head of Jesus, would he devote that sacred head for such a what? A worm as I. That was the original line. That's what Isaac Watts wrote. See, the reason that these hymn writers used that kind of self-deprecating language is because they were, in, they were so in awe of God. And that's what's going on when Job encounters the greatness of God. He immediately sees his own insufficiency. And that's when God gives him a new insight about who God is because this is the way God works. It leads to Job's third insight, which is this. As we fully perceive our insufficiency, God always reveals his goodness towards us. He always opens his goodness. Yes, God is awesome. Yes, I'm not. But God is so very, very, very good. If you look over in in chapter 42, picking up in verse 10, God's word says this, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, talking about before the calamity, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Now, if you've ever read through the book of Job, it is like like just crazy beautiful to get to that verse. Just to get to those verses, to after all that Job has gone through, just to, to see that. And I want you to just let that marinate in your mind for just a moment. What God did here. Because you need, you need to know this. No matter what, what the tunnel is that you're going through, there is the light of God at the end of it. There was, there was God at the end of this journey that Job was on. And these words that we just read, these are words of, of God who is unbelievably generous. A God who loves to bless people. God reveals this goodness to Job. You know that, that prayer that we teach our kids uh, before they eat? You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for... That, that, that prayer is filled with great theology right out of the book of Job. Just right out of... God in his goodness. 
He now, the Bible says, pours out twice as much blessing on Job in the physical realm. But the, the big blessing was this. Now Job is walking in humility. He, he's been restored, but he's also a different man. Remember, the, the, book of, the book of Job began by describing Job. One of the descriptions was he was the greatest man of the East. Now Job, I believe, is one of the most humble while living in the generosity of God. You know what? Even if God had not restored Job's fortunes, God would still be good. Had he not, even if God had not gone back and restored everything, God is still good all the time. See, there's no promise that God, at the end of this pandemic, that God is going to give you twice as much as you had before this pandemic. You know, you may read where God restored Job as twice as much, and you may be thinking, I'm claiming that verse is my promise now. Maybe God will bless you that way. Maybe he won't. But no matter, God is good. He's generous. And God revealed these three truths to Job. And I want, to, I want you to see now, when, when he, he got those insights, how, how Job sheltered in that revelation, in this encounter with God. Job, Job did it by making a, a decision. It says this in verse 5 of chapter 42. Job said, I, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Friends, this is significant. When Job says, I repent, and this is one of the great truths that we all need to grab hold of about sheltering in the revelation of God, and it's this. Repentance. Repentance is the only adequate human response to divine revelation. That's the only response that makes any sense for us is to repent when God reveals who he is. You know, if, if, if you really read and studied through the entire book of Job, you, one of the things that you'll see is that Job struggled with pride. And he struggled with a, a, a growing animosity towards God. And it ended up, he ended up with a tood. I mean, he just started sporting this attitude. It was a bad attitude. But now Job repents because Job has come to know God better. And, and please catch this. Most of the focus through most of this book of Job was the focus on Job's question of why. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why would a loving God let this happen to me? But you get to the end of the revelation where God has shown himself. And Job is no longer focusing on why. Job is only focusing on who. Job is saying, I don't need to know why anymore because I know who. I know who God is. God had just shown him around the universe. And, and Job says, I understand. God is awesome. I understand. I am so insufficient, inadequate when I compare myself to him. You know, there are so many times when you hear people in our culture, in churches, Christians saying this, 
You know, where was God? Where was God at 9-11? You know, where, where was God that day when those buildings were coming down? Where was God when this virus got unleashed and, and just decimated humanity? And so many, Where was God? Here's where God was. God was the same place he always is when people were suffering. God is the same place he was when he hung on a cross. He's suffering with us. That's who God is. He suffers with his people. God was with Job in his suffering, and now Job knows it because he's gotten a glimpse of God. Now my I see you, and, and I repent. And, and please don't forget this. It's important to grab hold of this. While Job is saying that, while Job is saying, I repent, God, because I, I see you, you're so awesome, he says, I repent in what? He says, I repent in dust and ashes. And what, what that needs to remind us of is Job was still in the same circumstance. He was still sitting in the ashes, maybe the ashes of his own property that had burned out, maybe the ashes at a dump. He still has the disease in his body. When Job repents, he hasn't been restored yet. Nothing has changed. The ash heap hasn't changed. Job's circumstances hasn't changed, but here's what's changed. Job's heart has changed. The heart of Job has changed. And friends, that's what repentance really is. It, it means a change of heart. I repent. We, we, we began our time today with me asking you a question. What, what, have, you, what have your thoughts recently been about God? I want to ask you now uh, another question. What, what, is, what is God, the word God, been revealing to you about you lately? What, what, what do you do when God shows you, reveals to you the real you? What, what, what kind of steps do you take when you, when you come in contact with that? Well, let's, let's follow Job's example. What, what did Job do? The Bible said that he repented. It was a very practical step. And I want to just take a, a few minutes to, to unpack that. Because repentance is one of the most important topics in God's word. It shows up a lot. It's, it's addressed over 50 times in the New Testament. Some of you are familiar uh, with, with Jesus' cousin. It, he he kind of comes on the scene early in the Gospels. His name is John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist was this kind of great evangelist. And, and the first message that we have in God's word that, that John ever preached could have probably been entitled, you know, a sack of snakes. I don't know if you remember that, but in Matthew chapter 3, it says John the Baptist came, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was crying out, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you jump down to verse 7, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. And he challenges them to repent. He calls for their repentance. And this was really one of the, the first sermons that he preached right out of the chute. Some of the earliest words that we have recorded of Jesus saying when he began his public ministry are found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And Jesus said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, one of the, the issues, I think, for too many of us who are regular churchgoers kinds of people, we hear that term repentance, and typically we think, unbeliever, unbeliever. We think that's a, a word for unbelievers only. See, the word repent means to think differently. 
It means to, to reconsider, to change one's direction. You know, as, as I said earlier, it means to have a, a change in your heart. Because remember, uh, the, this, this story of Job started out with God himself saying, Job is a godly man. Go back to chapter 1, verse 8. It says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? God is bragging on Job. And, and then we see, like one of the godliest men around, saying, I repent. And we've already talked about that he, he had to repent of some things that were going on in him. Because Job came to see that repentance is not just for unbelievers. Here's a biblical truth about repentance that I've come to understand. As repentance initiates salvation for unbelievers, kind of that first step into salvation, it also substantiates salvation for believers. It's, a, it's kind of an initiate for, for unbelievers, but it, it substantiates salvation for believers now yes of course first step in of an unbeliever uh, to, to step into God's salvation Jesus said you got to repent but repentance is also every step of growth that a believer takes it substantiates our salvation see when I continue in my repentance my confidence in God's salvation grows the apostle Paul was uh, writing to the church at Philippi, and he said this, Therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what Paul is saying is, if you're not still repenting, if you're not uh, revisiting your life regularly in the presence of God, then maybe what you need to do is go back to where you think you first repented. If repentance isn't a regular way of life, something's missing in your life. See, repentance is an, it's an ongoing thing that happens in the life of every Christ follower. You read the Gospels, you see the disciples repenting and repenting and repenting. When you, when you repented for the very first time, all you were doing was beginning to learn how to develop that for your whole life. Because the more God reveals of himself, the more we must repent. The more God reveals about himself and about about you the more you need to repent when we get to the book of revelation when you you know you're reading through the bible and you finally get to the book of revelation you get to chapter two and and jesus has some specific messages to seven churches there i just want to fly through and we're going to move through these quickly a couple of those um in revelations chapter two verses one and following he says to the church at ephesus remember therefore where you have fallen Repent. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 and following to the church at Pergamum. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them. He, he's saying, repent. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 and following to the church at Thyatira, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 14 and following to the church at Laodicea. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous to repent. And then that great verse that, that we love. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. But it starts with this zealous repentance. 
Friends, if Jesus calls churches to repent, then repentance is something for believers and not just unbelievers. So let me ask you a simple question. At what point in your life do you no longer need to change? Do you no longer need to stop growing in your spiritual life? Well, the truth is, our growth is never completed until we stop drawing breath. See, when, when God reveals who he is, it shows us who we are. We have to adjust to that. That adjustment is called repentance. And we, we've had this five-week uh, of, of journeying with Job. And, and I kind of think this is a fitting way to, to close. Um, and I want to read something to you. It's, it's out of uh, one of my favorite books on, on leadership, uh, not just spiritual leadership, even though that's the title of it, but um, out, out of a book entitled Spiritual Leadership uh, by Oswald Sanders, um, he, he puts a poem in it that is, um, he says is that the author is unknown. A lot of people think he actually wrote it, but here's what the poem says. It says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great a bold man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay. Only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try, with, to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. See, when, when God wants to actually engage your life sometimes it may get a little more difficult God God has used this pandemic to make changes in me and I believe he's used used it for you now sometimes you probably thought it felt like a hammer coming down on you maybe you have felt like there was blow after blow after blow and I love that line from that poem, that's, that poem that says, with mighty blows converts him. Are, are you being converted? Are, are, are you being changed? Are you repenting as God reveals more of himself and more of yourself to you? Is that, is that taking place in your life? I, I don't know. Maybe you've never been converted for the very first time. Maybe you've never come to, to personally see Jesus for who he is. Or maybe, maybe you've done that, or, but you've stopped along the way being converted. Maybe, maybe you've been just clinging to some attitude that's killing you. Or maybe it's a, a, a habit or a, a, some hurt or, or hang-up that, that you're clinging to. And what you need is a glimpse of God. You need a divine revelation because once you see God for who he is, 
his real power, his splendor, his strength, his, his beauty, you'll discover your insufficiency. And you'll stop going, wow is me, and you'll start going, woe is me. And it will draw you, it will draw you to Jesus. See, now is a good time to, to say that to Jesus, to confess to him, I, I know I need you. See, God isn't just about showing, showing off his power. He, he's not just about doing that. God is about forgiving those who have no power. He, he's about loving the weak. He's about loving the, the sinful. He, he's about connecting there. He's about showing you uh, he's about showing you who you really are and then taking you right where you are unto, unto himself. He's, he's about providing a, a place of shelter eternally so that he can restore you, so that you will be blessed of the Lord. If you want that, the Bible says you have to repent and believe. And that... That move is an act of, of surrender. You have to first repent. Repent of thinking that you don't need a Savior. Repent of, of pride that somehow you can figure it out, you can save yourself, you can be good enough. And then you have to believe that Jesus is both able and willing to rescue you from your brokenness. And what you have to do is say, Jesus, that's what I need. I've tried it my way and it's killing me. I come to you. Lord, take me as I am. And the Bible says it's that simple. It's an act of putting your trust in Jesus. And when you do that, you begin this new life, the Bible says. And it's a lifelong journey. And here's what the journey looks like. God shows you something of himself, you repent and believe. And God shows you something new about himself later, and you repent and believe. And you repent and believe. And you repent and believe. That's the life of a follower of Jesus. Maybe years ago you trusted Christ, but as of late, you've kind of drifted away. You've kind of walked away, and you've awakened during this pandemic, and you're, you're wondering, where, where did God go? And today, God has given you a refreshing view of who he is and who you are. And maybe you need to repent, and you re need to return to be sheltered in the great grace of our Lord. Or, or maybe, maybe you've been walking with the Lord regularly and recently he has revealed something new to you in a fresh way and shown you something that he wants you to change. But you're clinging to it. You're not wanting to let it go. Friends, you cannot shelter in the Lord while clinging to something else. You've got to let it go. You've got to surrender it to God. You've got to surrender to his greatness. You've got to surrender to his goodness. You need to surrender today. As our worship team comes, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Lord God, we come right now. We come with the kind of vision of who you are. A vision, God, of your greatness, of your glory. A vision, God, that when we stand beside you, we realize how, how insufficient our own life is. How inadequate we are. How, how broken 
how barren, how empty. We see you. But then, God, you've chosen to look at us right where we are in our brokenness, in our sin, in our lostness, and reach over and pull us to yourself. And you tell us, you, you look at us, you hold us and say, child, repent. Quit believing you don't need me. Quit believing that you can figure this out on your own. Child, I'm here for you. And the Bible says if you will just put your trust in God, the God who sacrificed his only begotten son to pay a penalty for your sin that you could not pay. The Bible says if you will trust in that. The Bible tells us that God raised him from the dead, conquering death so that you won't ever have to experience death as a follower of Jesus. Will you trust in that? All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. And I would encourage you to do that out loud. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, come. Rescue me. Come be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. Save me, Jesus. And the Bible says if you will put your trust in him that way, he will. If you will surrender your life. Others of you have made that decision, but you're still clinging to something now that God God is revealing As he shows you a new glimpse of who he is, he's shown you something about you that you need to surrender today, that you need to give up to the Lord. And I want to encourage you that as we we pray right now, God, we surrender. Maybe, Maybe right now you need to make this song of worship your prayer, specifically surrendering whatever the Lord has revealed to you, confessing it to him and walking away, putting it down choosing something better will you surrender today Lord we come we come to respond to you we want to be like like Job we want to see your greatness and cry out we repent lead us now we pray in Christ's name Amen Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.